heart, God, because you commanded us to be grateful. Yes, Lord. Father, we, we know that there is not coincidence in our lives. It is your hand of providence over us, Father. So, God, we just submit ourselves to you right now in humble gratitude for the work that you've done in our lives and through the work of salvation and that you will continue to do in our lives, Father. And I pray, God, that as we come together as a united body this morning to worship you in song and in scripture, Lord, and we hear the truth that is revealed, Father, that the enemy would not have a foothold, that there would be no distractions, Lord. And God, we would leave this place today changed, changed honoring your name, God, forgetting the past and pressing forward to what lies ahead so that in the end we can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, we honor you with all that we have today, Father, and we stand in your name, the name above all other names, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship our King. Amen. salvation, one doorway that leads to life, one redemption, one confession, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe in a crucifixion, by His blood I've been set free, I believe in Resurrection, hallelujah, his life is destiny. All praise to God the Father, all praise to Christ the Son, all praise to the Holy Spirit, our God has overcome the King who was and is and evermore will be.
Thank you, Father. Praise you, Lord.
down for us, God. God, may we never not understand the depths of the price that was paid. Your blood was shed. For us, Lord, you willingly laid your life down, Father. Mm that we would be reconciled back to God. Yes. Father, as we understand Scripture to you've given us, Lord, the only the understanding only comes to the Holy Spirit who our counselor, our guide, and our teacher. Mm -hmm. Father, it's your will that none shall perish, but all will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, that we would be at peace with God through Jesus Christ, yes. our Lord. And the example, Father, in which you set before us, Lord, came, Father, that we might live and have life and life in abundance. Not just here, but for all eternity, Lord. Mm -hmm. And you place within our hearts, God, a, a hunger for and a thirst for righteousness, Father, for your name's sake, God. Desire for your return, Lord, to gather those who belong to you. Yes. For all eternity, Father, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Father, I just thank you for our time of worship this morning and mm. just the words that were sung over us, Lord. Yes. All we have to give to you, Father, is our lives. Mm. So I pray, God, that we would be surrendered lives unto Christ. Mm. That we would be the living sacrifices that your word talks about, Father. That we would go forth, Father, and be the ambassadors of your kingdom. Mm -hmm. That we, be, we would be your hands and your feet in our generation, Lord. That we would not hide our light, mm -hmm. but that the light would so shine from our lives, God. Mm -hmm. That others may come, Lord, to know the hope in Christ as we have found hope in you, Lord. Mm -hmm. and so for that, I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Application. Good morning. Sustained effort, hard work. 
Again, we've heard it multiple times throughout this year. We've got another few months left. Before you know it, it'll be December. But application, sustained effort, hard work. The Christian life is not just a bunch of rules and laws, but it's a life that's lived, not in and of our own strength, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. The one in whom Jesus says has to come. Jesus says, I have to go away so that he will come, he being the Holy Spirit, to fulfill God's plan. Remember, by now, we all should know God's plan. From the beginning to the end, that he will have a people, that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God, that they would live for him, that they would ultimately love him with their whole being. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. To love the Lord your God. Sustained effort, hard work, that's application. It's just not head knowledge. It's just not head knowledge. No, it's a lifestyle. It's who we're becoming. We're not giving over to, to the rebellious nature if we're in Christ. <laughs> Though yet we understand that rebellious nature is still there, and Galatians tell us it fights the spirit. The flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But we have to remind ourselves what Scripture tells us, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And we don't have to give in to those desires. Because remember, the Bible says, where does sin come from? It comes from the desires from within. Yet there are forces out of us that try to lure and entice those desires, but ultimately, it's not the devil's fault that I've I've sinned. It's not the world's fault that I've sinned. It's not what others do to me that is the fault of my sin. No, the fault of my sin is me, myself, and I. It is my nature, apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, that's how we live. We're selfish We just think of ourselves. We're easily angered. We're easily provoked. We're easily, you know, giving ourselves over to the things that Christ has come to do away with. And so we ought not to be going back to what is behind us or to that old nature, but that we understand that he makes a way out of every temptation. To remember, temptation in and of itself is not sin. But once you bite into it, and once you give in to selfishness, once you give in to slander, once you give in to lust, once you give in to anger, once you give in, sin is birth. And the only thing that can come from that is death. But we're not to be children Marked by death any longer. Because if we're truly born again, our lives are now marked by life. Life. That's why the Bible tells us, choose this day, life or death. Life and death is set before you. Choose life. 
That's why I love years ago, and, I, and I've shared this with you before, all the way back in Genesis, it tells us, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you, yes. but you must master it. Yes. So we ought not to take lightly our own nature that's apart from God. And so that's why it's vital application, application, application of truth. Mm. What are we applying? Truth. Whose truth? God's truth. Through Christ. <laughs> because in Christ, and we understand, truth isn't a concept, truth is a person. <clears throat> so we are applying Christ. That's why the Bible tells us to put on Christ daily. It needs to become our habit, just as anything else would be our habit. So it's not an easy cakewalk. So we understand that. And it's not a bunch of lists of rules of do's and don'ts. Though there are standards set, but the, the standards that are set can only be met through Christ. If I make it just about the law, the do's and the don'ts, I'm only going to sin. I'm only going to get easily frustrated. And the sad thing is I'm not going to get easily frustrated with myself. I'll get easily frustrated with God. And we ought not to. That's how the flesh works. That's how the enemy works. That's how the world system works. Those three want nothing more than you to blame God. And to turn from God and to go your own way. God throughout time, and we see all through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, and even in our own generation and generations to come. But, you know, I was, <laughs> the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, he delivered his people from these other gods. These little gods. <laughs> and yet they kept going back to them. Kept going back to them. And we're no different. And we see that in the New Testament. That's why the church is constantly being reminded of her identity as she's ultimately being reminded of his identity. Yeah. And this is what we're applying these truths so that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God can raise up a standard against him. When the, word, when the word tells us that the world's interest, our interest in the world is no longer, and the world's interest in us is no longer, we all understand that to be true. And then we understand when the Bible says that sin and death have been defeated. So then why would we continue to go to that and try to resurrect it. When ultimately it has no power. It has no power. We can go shackle ourselves with it if we want. But why would we do that? Once we know that Christ is risen. And all that Christ has done for us. For God so Love the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So application is vital 
to the Christian life. It's sustained effort. It's hard work. You're to give your full attention to it. Applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians, not just some Christians, but to all Christians, no matter where you're at in your Christian faith. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book, an impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, understand that. You've heard it almost for seven months now. When you apply the Bible, God himself is with us. Philippians 4.9 tells us this. And the God of peace will be with you. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us and say, now figure this out. And even though application is sustained effort and hard work, it's not in and of our own strength. It's by his might, his power, his spirit. But we are warring ultimately against ourselves. So many times we're out trying to fight demons. We talk more of the devil and demons, and though that is a realm that wages war against us, but the majority of Christians are not even inflicted by Satan and the demons because we haven't even won the war against ourselves through Christ. We're still like that dog chasing its tail, just going around and around and around and around and around. We're no threat to the kingdom of darkness because we're defeating ourselves. We're not a threat to the world system or to the world order because we're not a threat to ourselves. So the battle begins here. And that's why Christ came. He came to strip sin and death of its power. And as he came and he stripped sin and death of its power, he openly dragged Satan and the demons out and made a mockery of them. Their end was already purposed, you all. And I want you all to hear that today. Jesus didn't come to beat the devil. Because the devil was already defeated. The devil was already defeated. There's a place that was already prepared for him. And those angels that went with him. Jesus didn't come to defeat the world system. Jesus came to defeat that nature that you were born into. That rebellion. And because of that nature, you're easily blinded by the enemy. Satan then is your father. You've got no one else to follow. The world influence over you pulls everything out of you. 
and you desire everything that it just lays bare before you. You know the victory in the heavenly realms? That's why when the Bible says when a sinner repents, when a sinner repents, what does heaven do? They rejoice. Do you understand the impact of when an individual, no matter what your age is, when you recognize your eyes have been opened to be like, God, you love me? You You made a way for me through Jesus that I can live? I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, Jesus. And we submit to him? All heaven rejoices because all of heaven understand what is against us and ultimately are that nature that's within us that wants to always challenge God, that wants to always resist God, and wants to always blame God. But God, through Christ, made a way. Made a way. That's why, with confidence, Paul can look at the church and say, those who are in Christ They are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold! All things have been made new. And this new creation in which now we live, oh, we're not not running amok with the enemy. We're learning to stand to wage war. That's when you're able to wage war against this realm because the flesh has already been submitted to Christ. And then Christ could use you to stand, to intercede, to stand in the gap for loved ones, for families, for communities, for nations. To stand against the the world system and to live righteously and upright. Yet everything in the world is broken and perverse. There's a people that can be upright and endure because they know this world is not their home because of what Christ has accomplished through them. Through them. This is the good news. This is what we have to share with others if we're Christians. So the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. By understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment. Helping us better distinguish between good and evil. Ultimately, that's how we're growing. That's how we're maturing. You're not going to be perfect. We're not perfect until we're on the other side with him. But until then, we're growing. Again, no matter what your age is, you're learning to grow. What does it mean to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, to represent Christ to a world that hates him? 
What does it mean to learn to get up each and every single day and not just rolling out of bed, but understanding, lining yourself up with truth that my life is not my own. You're not in charge today. I'm going to remind you. That's why I've always tell you, you should be preaching the gospel to yourself daily. It's not just a one-time little prayer. It's an everyday life. And Christians better wake up. Wake up. Wake up. There's a way in which we're called to live. And it's to honor Christ. It's to love Christ. Go to... 2 Peter 1.10 Because ultimately we are to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. 2 Peter 1.10 Again, these verses I'm going to hold up to us. We're just kind of going through them. You've heard it before, but I'm going to remind us. 2 Peter 1.10 Scriptures to help or to encourage us to apply the truth of God's word. 2 Peter 1.10 So dear brothers and sisters, work hard, apply, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Understand that. God chose you. God called you. You didn't choose God. You didn't call God. No, God chose you. God chose you, the God of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, who formed you, who placed you in your mother's womb, who numbered the hairs on your head, who fashioned you to do good works for him. He's called you out of darkness. He's revealed himself to you. And this image that I want to keep portraying and give us, I've been doing it for the past two weeks. So just in case you've forgotten, I'll show you again. Again, I learned this years ago when I was going through training at Universal. Lost children in the park. You don't stand over them. It intimidates them. It makes it even more anxious and fearful. No, you get down to their level. You meet them right where they're at. You allow them to know that they are secure and they are safe. And that you are there to help them. And this is what God does through Christ. Before Christ, no matter what our age is, because each of us are born as sinners, no matter what that sin is in each of our lives, we're lost. We're doomed for destruction. And yet God knows that nature, and God loves us. And God loves us, but because of God's love doesn't mean we can stay the same. Because we're enemies of Him. But he loves us. He understands that condition. So he stoops down through Christ. Meets us right where we're at, no matter what our age is. And says, here, I love you. Yeah. You don't have to be lost any longer. It doesn't matter what your parents have done to you, what your friends have done to you, what your 
job's done to you, what your school's done to you, what life has done to you. No, no, I've got you. But you have to turn to me. You have to follow me. And once we turn to him, once we recognize, and he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm not going to abandon you. Like, I'm going to see you through this. And then once you, once I get you through this, once you accomplish what I have purposed you to do, for all eternity you're with me. And you understand you live now at a greater level of knowledge, of purpose for your life. So many people do not live a life of significance because they don't understand the value that God has placed within them. And so listen to that scripture. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Do these things. Live right. Apply truth. And that's why I always tell you all, especially if you're calling yourself a Christian, you have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. Especially in this church, in this fellowship. You don't have to hide what you're going through. You don't have to hide what's going on in your heart and in your mind. You don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy and say, well, if I tell them this is what I'm feeling or this is what I'm attracted to or this is what I'm thinking or this is what I'm doing or this is what I've done, oh, they're not going to accept me. They're not going to love me. They're, they're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. They're going to be mad at me. They're going to reject blah, 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 blah. And then the same thing we say about the church, we're saying about God, and before you know it, we've turned from God, and, and we've turned from church, and now we're out wandering again. Mm. So how do we get to a place where we don't wander anymore, or turn anymore? By putting into practice what the Word of God says. If you're going through something, you're hurting inside, you're confused, about desires or attractions or thoughts. <laughs> Anything about life, you got a safe place to come. Ultimately, Christ. Because just as Christ stoops down, we as the church stoop down. Yeah. Like, we're not going to leave you. We're not going to abandon you. It's different if you say... I'm not going to follow Christ. I'm going to do me. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to do what I want. Then you know what? You have every right to live that way. So then, go live that way. (laughs) Go live however you want. But you understand, that's all there is. And that's all you got. And you're basing your life's worth on temporal desires that are going to fade away. That's what you're giving yourself over to. To your anger, to your lust, to this and to that. In the past month, I've been talking about dust, dust, dust. We're all chasing dust. And you say, what does that mean? It's what the Bible says. God knows that we're just dust. Dust we came, dust we're going. (laughs) So we're trying to pursue relationships Rather, it's family. Rather, it's this person. 
or that person, if they would just love me, if they would just accept me. I feel so empty. I feel so lonely. And I don't make light of that because I lived that way for half of my life. And I sought after relationships because of broken relationships that were in my life. But what I was pursuing was dust, were people that ultimately, if they drop dead tomorrow, what do I have then? Now I'm looking for someone else. Now I'm looking for this person. Now I'm trying to get into this person or to that person. I'm just trying to fit in. I just want a sense of being as everyone else does apart from Christ. And so it is with material things. We want, we want, we want, we want, we want. I've got to have a good job. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. I've got to have that. i got to have this. I've got to have that. i got to have this. I've got to have that. But that all can be gone tomorrow. And if that's where your value is from, is that, if that's where your worth is from, if that's where your identity is, when it's taken away, where are you now? And so for a Christian, you know what's different? Yes, we value relationships. Yes, it's okay to have nice things. But the difference is, as a Christian, those relationships, the nice things, they don't have us. Our value and our worth is not in them. And yes, if they're taken away, yes, we grieve, yes, we mourn, but ultimately our worth, our identity, is found in Him. The one that would never leave us, the lover of our souls. This is the Christian life, you all. This is what it means to surrender to Jesus. Like you're my all in all. So now then, how shall I live? To go forth like Jesus did, the Bible said. To love the Lord your God and to love others. As you learn to love yourself. And just to live you all. If you're chasing things out there that's just dust, realize after a while, it's blown away. It's gone. So don't base your life on temporal things. If you're not in Christ, that's what you're going to continue to do. (laughs) But if you're in Christ, you have to learn, you have to apply, you have to understand truth. No, I understand my soul. My soul has worth, my soul has value. And again, there's nothing wrong with having relationships. There's nothing wrong with having material things. But those things don't have me. I'm not finding my worth in them. So in my relationships, I'm not going to devalue myself just so I can fit in. I'm just not going to give myself to anyone and everyone just because I want them to love me. No, when you understand the value and the worth that you have in Christ, you don't have to go spread yourself around. You don't have to try to fit into these groups that really don't want you. No, you walk upright and secure. And God will bring you in to the fellowship of, his, of the saints, of the people of God, who will encourage you, who will edify you, will build you up, so that you may live this abundant life that He's given us to live. Again, the Christian life is not this, huh, it's a boring life. God is not boring, you all. God is not boring. 
He's the maker of heaven and earth. He speaks and things are formed. Look around. If he was boring, you wouldn't see color. If he was boring, none of us, we all look the same. If he was boring, it would be like, oh, no, do you understand? It's vibrant. So there's a way in which we're called to live, you all. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. You understand how important this is? Especially nowadays, listen, everyone's a Christian. Like, what on earth? I mean, here you mentioned what you were listening to yesterday, but some of the things I, I, I see and I hear and I talk to people, I'm like, God, like we got to understand, no. There's an all-out war against truth. There's an all-out war against people coming to Christ and understanding truth. Again, your flesh... The world system and the enemy, they don't mind you having church. They don't mind you going to the institution. They don't mind you following the rules and the laws that just beat you down and weigh you down. But start living for Christ. Start loving Christ. You understand he was hated. He was rejected. He was despised. And so he raises us up in our generation. And then he says, now go forth. That's why I've always told you the call of a disciple. Like what? I usually don't go back and forth with people in social media. I post and I try to encourage people and people on different sites may try to come at me with all their crazy brouhaha and sometimes I just ha-ha-ha, whatever. <laughs> well, Lord, this man wanted to start with me this morning, the other morning, sometime this week. And I said, Lord, I just I don't want really to say nothing back to him. But he's irritating me and I just like, God, I don't want to react in my flesh. So I deleted what I was going to respond. The more I sat there, the more I, I, saw, I wasn't aggravated anymore. The more I sat there, I was like, how sad. That's what I told you. <laughs> I said, we give more credit to sin, to that old nature, than we do God's truth and God's, and God's word. If God says it, who are we to change it? Why are we changing it? I remember back in the days when I came to Christ, people had all, everything to share with me. And thank God I did listen to people. Because it was confusing. Like, what? 
But that's not what the Word says. The Word says I'm a new creation. Though there may still be whatever in me, but God says, no, Rob, consider yourself dead. So what does that look like, Rob, to consider yourself dead and alive in Christ? I don't know. So I have to know Christ to know what that means. This young girl, remember Carolyn? I don't know if, you, if you're still here. I think I'm saying her name right. The one I was, I was playing checkers or chess with or whatever. You know who I'm talking about? Carolyn Loins or something like that? Years ago, this was years ago, this was on the internet playing. This young girl was like, why is your name? He's alive or something like that, whatever it was. So all of a sudden, just opened up the door for me to start sharing my faith with her. And I ended up connecting her with Gilda. And then just seeing her kind of grow throughout the years. But she came at me with some hard questions, you all. I'm not even going to share, but like really like graphic questions. <laughs> I was like, wow. But that's awesome. I'm glad she did. She would say, I've never heard anyone else talk this way. And I remember always getting bombarded by people. That's not true. This and that, this and that, this and that. And if I would have listened to them, I don't know where I would be today. This is one thing we know to be true. Jesus is alive. Sin and death are defeated. Oh, what are you saying? You're never going to sin? What are, you cre- are you preaching Christian perfectionism? Who's preaching Christian perfectionism? Do you not see what the Bible says? Why do you want to keep giving yourself the right to, to sin? Why are you comfortable in your sin and making excuses instead of understanding what the Word of God says? You reckon yourself dead to sin but alive in Christ. Verse John says, I do not write to you that you will not sin, but if you do, remember. You have an advocate. We're never to say, oh, we're not, we're, we're not, you know, we never sin. No, Christians. But the difference between a Christian and an unbeliever, our sin does not master us. Because when we sin, we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, even before we sin, because the temptation is there, we understand he makes a way out. So look for the way out before giving in. But if by chance you do give in, don't beat yourself down. Oh, I'm a bad Christian. Can't do anything right. This must be my identity. This must mean who I am. I'm just an angry person. I just can't stop gossiping, backbiting. No. Application. Application. Bring out what's in the dark into the light. Expose it. Get free. Walk in freedom. No matter what your age is. So that we can live to the fullness. Because you're supposed to keep a close watch on how you live. And your teaching. Stay true. Stay genuine. To what is right. For the sake of your own salvation. And then those around you. Because people, oh, you go to church? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they're watching. And you say one thing one day, and then you're right back over here the next day. Mm. And it's confusing to people. 
But this is the generation in which we're living. It's just going to get, 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 get even more confusing. Because the level of deception is rising in the land. Because we understand as, as it returns, to, as we're getting closer to his return, the love of many is growing to grow cold. People are going to become lovers even more so of themselves. They're going to rebel against authority. It's going to rise up. And just as that is rising up, it opens up to the world system to rise up. And then in this realm up here, the level of warfare that's taken place. Because ultimately, we understand before Christ comes to gather those who belong to him, I keep telling you, the world is preparing the stage for their antichrist. Mm-hmm. But the church, the church, your hands should not be in that preparation. Yeah. Your hands are to be diligent because you're preparing for the Christ to return to gather those who belong to him. And this is the good news. So even when religious people, even when the lost want to scream and yell at you, stand up. Stop cowering down. Stop giving in. And you can't do it in of your own strength. You can only do it through Christ. Because daily you're putting on Christ. Daily you're learning what it it means to live right. Daily you're learning what it means when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, these are Jesus' words, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So, what does it look like to live a life like that? This is, what, this is why we come to church. This is why we come to fellowship. This is why we talk to other believers. This is when we sit down and we're just open with people. I'm having an issue in this area. My mind thinks upon these things. I know they're not right, so I just need some help. I need some guidance. I know ultimately the Lord will lead me and guide me, but he's given us the church to uphold each other. To love each other. Because we're all going through the same thing. There's nothing that you can ever bring out into the light that will shock any of us. Nothing. And that's what the enemy wants to do to us, you all. We have our confusion and our hurts, and he tells us we're the only we're, you're the only one going through it. He whispers lies, and then our flesh believes it. But you tell your flesh, no, I'm not going to believe that lie. I believe in Jesus, if you truly believe in Jesus. And so, Jesus, I need your help. You love me. You came for me. And you won't abandon me. You're for me and not against me. And so we have to be real. We have to get to that place of repentance. I repent. I'm sorry, Jesus. 
we have to remember, God loves everyone. That's what the Word of God says, right? Saved, unsaved. God loves everyone. But not everyone is a child of God. The enemy has lied to people. Well, everyone's a child of God. That's not true. God loves everyone, and it's God's desire that everyone would become a child of God only through Jesus. If people have not given their life to Jesus, they're not children of God. Remember, Jesus himself told the Pharisees, your father's the devil. People who are not in Christ, who have not surrendered their lives to Christ, do not belong to Christ. But that doesn't take God's love away from them. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. God's love for them draws them continually to himself, but they continue to choose to say, no, I don't want to be loved by you. You're not God of my life. It's their choice. That was my choice for many years. But when you finally come to a place where you're like, no. Oh, God, I see I'm an enemy towards you. I see all of this, God. And you see it, and yet you love me. God, I surrender my life to you. I am a sinner. I'm sorry. I repent. I need you, Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you rose from the dead, defeating sin and death so that I may live to the glory of God. I'm yours now. I will follow you wherever you lead. That's That's the heart of a believer, you all. We're not alone. He doesn't leave us alone. So I'm going to start transitioning through this month of July into the month of August to talk about, before we go to our scriptures, we're going to get to our scriptures today. (laughs) But just to remind you of our fellowship, of who we are, and what we're called to do, and that you all should be making an impact out there. Inviting others in. You say, oh, but it's a small place. What are we going to do if it gets too crowded? Well, we'll let God work that out. But I'm telling you, we are a, a church, a full-functioning church, just like any other church out there. We just meet in a home. We do the very same thing that the church is called to do throughout the earth. And the name of our church is True Freedom Fellowship, or TFF. And if you've never been to our website, you should go to our website. Carrie will have it into the notes this week. God set us aside 16 years ago. Called us to do it this way. And we've been plugging along, plugging along. Hasn't been easy. Hasn't been easy. But praise be to God, there's growth. It's taken some years. (laughs) But you have to labor. And so I love that little sign there when you come up the stairs. I don't need the masses. I don't need thousands of people to preach to. 
just give me a few people who are genuinely sincere about loving God. Amen. I mean, really, you all. So, Truth Freedom Fellowship. Who are we? This is our scripture. John 8, 36. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. This is what our fellowship is based on. True Freedom Fellowship, a group of people who have chosen to die to themselves, to pick up their cross, and to follow Christ daily. We are a full-functioning church within the body of Christ. We don't meet in a traditional building, but in a home. A living room is our sanctuary, and couches are our pews. The dining room is our fellowship hall. And our pastors can be found, our pastor can be found in an armchair instead of in a pulpit or standing up here before you. <laughs> but our hearts are the same as millions of believers all over the world. A desire, this should be our desire, to serve at the pleasure of our King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Our mission field, family, neighbors, co-workers, our communities, to the ends of the earth. A group of people who have overcome the bondage of our past through the redemptive, freeing, and healing power of Jesus Christ. Been forgiven of much and have the desire to see genuine freedom come to the captives of sin and shame. Doing life together 24-7. A commitment, a lifestyle, commitment to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and a commitment to each other. To encourage, to edify, to build up the body of believers. So come, come, live this new life out loud for the world to hear. This is who we are. This is why we do what we do. To ultimately impact the lives of others that they may hear the truth of Jesus and be set free. To see others set free, you all. Remember, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is his purpose. That is his purpose. And for those who aren't in Christ, he has full access to them. Mm. That's why God has not taken us to heaven yet. (laughs) Jesus, when he prays for believers, he doesn't ask God, and we've talked about that, he doesn't ask God, once you accept Jesus, to take you out of the earth and take you right into heaven. Oh, that would be great. But that wasn't his plan. His plan is that we would be left behind. Go, go read his prayer while he was in the garden. He prays for you. You say, Jesus prays for me? Yes, he prays for you in the garden. So where is that in Scripture? You go find it. If you can't find it, no. I want people to go look for it. I could tell you, but I want you to go find it. If you can't find it in a day or two, you reach out to me. But I'll give you a hint. It's in John. But he says to the Father, don't take them out of this world. No, I'm sending them into the world, but to protect them by the name of which I have been given. The name of Jesus, you all. But this is who we are. True Freedom Fellowship. That we want to go forth and we want to look at others And love others as Christ would love them. In their sin and in their shame. And to let them know there is a way out. Now if they don't want out. 
You know, who are, we're not going to fight with them. We're not going to hate them. Because they have a right to live however they want. But love them enough to at least like to know there is a way out. If you ever want to discuss him, you know I'm here. You know I'm here. And we just live our lives before them. Just live our lives before them. Because we understand because our lives have been impacted. Hopefully they have been. If they haven't, then I don't know what you're waiting for. But hopefully you understand the freedom that comes through Christ, that you no longer have to be bound by sin and shame. You're free. If you're truly in Christ, you're free. And you can live, no matter what your age is, you can live life. Don't settle for the lies. Don't settle for the hurts. Don't settle for the emptiness and the insecurities and the depression to be all that you know. Don't settle for the anger and the outbursts and the rebellion. Don't settle for that. When your creator is at your level saying, come, I've got you. I've got you. Walk with me. Talk with me. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. I mean, come on, you all. Jesus, you can't make this up. I know what it's like to live a tormented life, to be hurt, to be angry, to be afraid of death, to be suicidal, to want to hurt people, to have all these issues in my heart and in my life because of what was done to me or feeling abandoned or whatever the case may have been. I shouldn't be the man that I am today. I I can't make me me. This is just me giving my life to Christ and saying, God, if you can take all of this, then God, I give it to you because you gave yourself for me. And no one else in this world will do that for me. No one else. So then what are our core values? That's who we are. So I want to encourage you to understand the church, who we are. So what are our core values? What what drives us? Number one, love. Love. Love for the Father. Love for ourselves. Love for others. That's what drives us. This is the core value. Love. Which then leads us to our second value. Unity. 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 A togetherness. That can't be broken. Unity. The third one, transparency. Because if love is our foundation, if unity is, is built off love, then I could be transparent. So what does transparent mean? I have nothing to hide. I can tell you all of my darkness. I can tell you everything that I'm going through. And the only reason why I can do that is because you first loved me. And you gave me a sense of belonging. And so I can be transparent because why do I have to be afraid? Why do I have to be afraid? 
then that leads to accountability. Because if you're going to be transparent, if we're going to be transparent with each other, then that brings forth accountability. Now we just don't pat you on your back and go, oh, that's sad. Oh, I'm sorry you're going through that. No, no, no. Like when we bring it out into the light, when we bring all the darkness into the light, you said, then how, how do I live now? Brother, sister, come alongside me. Help me. Hold me accountable. Hold me accountable. You have a right to speak to my life. Because you know why? Because I know if you come and you speak to my life and say, Rob, like I've seen this in you and I'm concerned. Did you know why? If, you, if that was our first value, we would be out of order. But when you go to speak to me or I come to speak to you to hold you accountable, you already know I love you. You already know that you have a place that you belong. There's unity. You already know we all are transparent in front of each other. And so when I come and I hold you accountable, you hold me accountable. It's not coming from a place that's an error. It's coming from a place of love. Because ultimately, who do we represent? Christ. Christ. And so we all hold each other accountable. And it's safe to hold each other accountable. Because ultimately, growth is what we're looking for. To mature, to grow. And you can't grow unless you have love, unless you have unity, unless you have transparency and accountability. These are the core values. You ought to be sharing this with people. When they ask you, what church do you go to? You don't have to go, oh, no, I don't know. We're a house church. You act all weird because you don't know how to explain the church that you belong to. And you understand people are craving this? There should be more people here. We should be going, what are we going to do with all the people? Do you understand? There's a hunger. There's a, there's a thirst. People are just looking And you should be able to offer a place. You should be able to invite them. You should be able to say, this is who we are. These are our core values. This is what you're going to find among us. We're not perfect. But this is who we are. This is how we're growing. And even if you don't want to come to service, if you just want to come to lunch, come. Come. Even if you don't want to even want to come on a Sunday, but you want to come, this is you speaking, you want to come to my house on an evening or a day that you're free, I'd be more than happy to sit down with you and begin to, to read the Bible or, or encourage you. Like there's a way to live, you all. 24-7, we don't shut it off. Oh, we go to church. And then y'all leave, or y'all go to your rooms, and like we're different people. That's, that's weird. That's not the church. That's not how Christians live. Because we're Christians 24-7. 24-7. So that's who we are. That is our values. We're going to walk through this, giving you more understanding of who we are, what we're called to do. But now let's move on to prophecy. Remember, prophecy, I started this about a month ago. We've been, I think, two weeks off of it. But we're back to talking about prophecy, scriptures that I'm going to give you all in hopes to encourage you. And the importance of prophecy. Prophecy is important. It shows God's control over history. And that what he predicts does come to pass. He is in control of his plan and purpose. 
And he will have a people that he will call his own, and they will call him their God. Prophecy proves the integrity of Scripture. It protects us from false teaching, and it prepares us for the last day. Listen, you can't make this up. This book is prophetic. Like everything in it is coming to pass. Man, though man penned it, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the only book throughout the earth that governments have tried to take it out of the hands of people. Institutions that claim to be followers of Christ have tried to take it from the hands of people. This is how powerful this is. Because it's truth. The world hates it. The world picks it apart. We'll take this, we'll take this, we'll take this, but we don't want the rest. False religions are built out of this. Because they don't take the whole counsel, they take just what they want. And that's how the enemy works. Because remember, the Bible tells us he doesn't come with pitchfork and ugly faces. No, he comes as an angel of light to deceive. Again, as I said before, he doesn't mind lulling us to sleep with lullabies that talk about Jesus. So we have to understand, you all, what we hold, what we've been given access to, the eternal word of God. The eternal word of God. And listen, Trust me, your flesh is not going to want to be in the Word. It'll find everything else to do. <clears throat> you got to yank that flesh in. Yeah. That's why I keep telling y'all, y'all got to start. You got to be the best preacher you know. You got to start talking to yourselves. King David, oh my soul, why are you downcast? But your hope in the Lord. I told you when I first started reading, I hated school. I hated to read. And I would begin reading and fall asleep. I don't understand what this means. And then I realized, as the Holy Spirit prompted me, like, that's your flesh. And I said, okay, flesh, I see you trying to keep me from what I need to know. So I got the Bible, opened up, and just started walking and reading out loud. I didn't understand any of it, but the more I began to read, the more I kept reading, the more I kept reading, the more I would sit down and write out scriptures. And I would write out scriptures and I would turn them into prayers. The more I started hiding the word in my heart, the more I started writing them on index cards and keeping them in my pocket or putting them on my phone and and utilizing them when things were coming up, the more that I realized, well, all of a sudden things started changing. And I'm like, what? And now I have a hunger for it. I can't go a day without being in it. Because if I go a day without being in this, I know who I will be. Yeah. And so I know we have all the excuses. I just can't get to it today. Well, trust me. You can get to everything else without a problem. And so you better start understanding and not make it legalistic. I've got to spend 20 minutes, I've got to spend 30 minutes. If I don't do it, then God's not going to love me. Don't do it that way. Because God doesn't like that. He would rather you close the book. Because now you made it about you. All right, sit down. If I don't do it, I'm not a good Christian. Do you understand? It's religion. That's your flesh. No. 
If you don't have a desire for it, then ask him for it. I keep telling you all that. God, I really don't have a desire. I have a hard time. But God, even asking me this and even saying this, it's not in and of myself, it's you showing me so you understand me. So God, Holy Spirit, help me. Give me a hunger for your word. Help me not to get distracted. What do I need to put in place that I might remain focused? I want this to be genuine. I don't want it to be just religion. I want it to be truth because you are the truth. I believe. And you do that with whatever you're lacking in. You're lacking in love. You have an anger problem. Then go to God. God, I'm angry. So God, Holy Spirit, help me. I'm sorry. I don't want to be that way. So help me understand how to apply truth from your word on how to deal with whatever the issue may be. But the encouragement, you said, I thought we were talking about prophecy. Well, we are, because the encouragement of giving you these prophetic verses is to encourage you to let you see God fulfill what God has purposed. He's not man that he should lie. So these prophecies that we're walking through are prophecies concerning Christ. So the first prophecy, go to Hosea. Hosea. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Hosea 11, verse 1. Everyone's looking. Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. Here we are. The first prophecy is that Christ would have to flee into Egypt. So the prophecy is all the way back in Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. Go to Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2, verse 2. 13 through 15. Matthew 2, verse 13 through 15. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt! With a child and his mother, the angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. The second one, he would have a ministry in Galilee. Go to Isaiah. Flip back to Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 1 through 2, again, prophecies concerning Christ. He will have a ministry in Galilee. All the way back to Isaiah, prophesied about this. Chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. Nevertheless, the Word of God says, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zubalim and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles 
which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land, for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew. Flip back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 17. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. The land in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Amen. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Finally, the description, the prophecy concerning Christ. He would be as a prophet. Deuteronomy 18. This is where it was prophetically spoken. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Eighteen verse fifteen, Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Where was that fulfilled? John six verse fourteen. I need like that Jeopardy music playing. John six verse fourteen. The fulfillment of this prophecy. When the people saw him do these miraculous signs, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Prophecies, you all, three of them, concerning Christ. They've been fulfilled. They were spoken. God is true to his word. God will fulfill all that he has planned. God is good, you all. Go to 1 Chronicles. And actually, we're closing out 1 Chronicles. We start 2 Chronicles next week. We're working through the Bible. So 1 Chronicles chapter 28 through 29. Carrie, I'm going to take this. I won't need the speaker. I don't think there's names I'm going to butcher. So, and again, Chronicles, you all. We'll open up 2 Chronicles next week. We walk through these scriptures in hopes to encourage you all to know your God. We do a little of the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament, we go through Psalm and then Proverbs. But remember, the book of Chronicles, these people were being led back to the promised land, back to their identity. They've been held captive for far too long. And the chroniclers reminding them who God is, what well, God has instructed, and who they're to be. And as it is with us, you all. We're in captivity before Christ. But because of Christ, we're brought out into our true identity, but we just don't understand it. 
So we must know our God. We must know what He's accomplished for us so that we will be the people that belong to Him. So we're finally ending 1 Chronicles. And again, these people, these generations have already passed, and they're being reminded what God had established, especially through David. David summoned all, verse, I mean, chapter 28, verse 1, David summoned all the officials of Israel to Jerusalem. <coughs> the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army divisions, the other generals and captains, the overseers of the royal property and livestock, the palace officials, the mighty men, and all, of the, all, and all the other brave warriors in the kingdom. David rose to his feet and said, My brothers... And my people, it was my desire to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. I made the necessary preparations for building it. But God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name, for you are a warrior and you have shed much blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me from among all my father's family to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen the tribe of Judah to rule. And from among the families of Judah, he has chosen my fa father's family. And from among my father's sons, the Lord was pleased to make me king over all of Israel. And from among my sons, the Lord has given me many. He chose Solomon to succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. He said to me, your son Solomon will build my temple and its courtyards, for I have chosen him. There's that word again. God chose him as my son, and I will be his father. And if he continues to obey my commands and regulations as he does now, I will make his kingdom last forever. So now, with God as our witness, and in the sight of all of Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may continue to possess the good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, look at this, you all, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, and the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. David also gave Solomon all the plans he had in mind, the courtyards of the Lord's temple, the outside rooms, the treasures, the treasuries, and the rooms for the gifts dedicated to the Lord. The king also gave Solomon the instructions concerning the work of the various divisions of the priests and Levites in the temple of the Lord. And he gave specifications for the items in the temple that were to be used for worship. David gave instructions regarding how much gold and silver should be used to make the items needed for service. He told Solomon the amount of gold needed for the gold lampstands and lamps and the amount of silver for the silver lampstands and lamps, depending on how each would be used. He designated the amount of gold for the table on which the bread of the presence would be placed and the amount of silver for other tables. David also designated the amount of gold for the solid 
gold meat hooks used to handle the sacrificial meat and for the basins, pitchers, and dishes, as well as the amount of silver for every dish. He designated the amount of refined gold for the altar and incense. Finally, he gave him a plan for the Lord's chariot, the gold cherubim, whose wings were stretched out over the Ark of the Lord's covenant. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Then David continued, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. The various divisions of priests and Levites will serve in the temple of God. Others with skills and every kind will volunteer, and the officials and the entire nation are at your command. Let's continue. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, and other precious stones, costly jewels, and other kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for His holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver. And, and to be used for the overlaying of the walls of the building and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel and the generals and captains of the armies and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. Listen to that. For the construction of the temple of the Lord, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious stones which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Geshron. The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had been given. So listen to that. The people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of a whole assembly. And listen to these words from King David. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness to the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and even given strength. O oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. 
We're here for only a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land of our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. I know, my God, that, that, you're, that you examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know I have done all this with good motives, and I have watched your people offer their gifts willingly and joyously. O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. Then David said to the whole assembly, Give praise to the Lord your God. And the entire assembly praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And they bowed low and knelt before the Lord and the king. The next day they brought a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand male lambs as burnt offerings to the Lord. They also brought liquid offerings and many other sacrifices on behalf of all of Israel. They feasted and drank in the Lord's presence with great joy that day. And again, they crowned David's son Solomon as their new king. They anointed him before the Lord as their leader. And they anointed Zadok as priests. So Solomon took the throne of the Lord in the place of his father, David. And he succeeded in everything. And all of Israel obeyed him. All the officials, the warriors, and the sons of King David pledged their loyalty to King Solomon. And the Lord exalted Solomon in the sight of all of Israel. And he gave Solomon greater royal splendor than any king Israel before him. So David, son of Jesse, reigned over all of Israel. He reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a ripe old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. Then his son Solomon ruled in his place. All of the events of King David's reign from the beginning to the end are written in the record of Samuel the seer, the record of Nathan the prophet, and the record of Gad the seer. These accounts include the mighty deeds of his reign and everything that happened to him and to Israel and to all the surrounding kingdoms. So much there, you all. So much there. And hopes to encourage you as these people will be encouraged as it was being read over to them, read over them. But I wanted to share this small little commentary. <clears throat> it's from Tony, Pastor Tony Evans' study Bible. The commentary for verse 4 through 7 of chapter 28, he says, Notice how many times David said God chose him, his tribe, and his son in this passage. This was the way of telling his hearers, this family's leadership over you is God's doing. Get on board with it. Verse 8 to 28 says, Don't miss the emphasis here on the condition for success in God's kingdom, which is obedience to God in his word. For verses 10 through 19 of chapter 29, David recognized some key truths about giving and gratitude that we sing and talk about in church services, but don't always under, under, but don't always under understand. David acknowledged that everything belongs to the Lord in the first place. Riches and honor come from him. When we, get, well, we, when we give to God, then we are only giving back to him a portion of what he has given to us in the first place. 
Another principle of giving that we need to embrace is in David's acknowledgement that God tests the heart. When it's all said and done, giving is a heart thing. God is looking at the size of our hearts, not our checkbooks. Jesus gave us the best example of this in the story of the widow and her two small coins. He said of her actions, This poor woman woman has put more into the treasury than all the others, for they all gave out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had all she had to live on. We must approach not only our giving, but also all of life from a kingdom perspective, which recognizes that everything we have and are is from God's hand. Like the lights on the dashboard of your car, which show what's going on deep under the hood. Your willingness to give generously indicates whether or not your heart is right. Go to Romans chapter 5. Picking back up in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 21. All the way to Romans chapter 5. In a few weeks all, we're back. Chapter 5. Verse 6 through 21. When we were utterly helpless, again, Paul is addressing the church in Rome. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, listen to this, while we were still what? Sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by what? The blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored, listen to these words, By the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. When Adam sinned, man, this is good, you all. This should be the foundation of your walk in Christ, that you understand what's being laid out here for us. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, understand this, a representation of Christ, who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many. Come on, hear this. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. 
For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift, free gift, leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of any sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who received it will live in triumph. Listen to this. For all who will, who will receive it. For all who will receive it. How will they live? In triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Oh, you should get this into your heart, hide it, tuck it away so you can begin to share this with people so they have an understanding of where the sin nature comes from and what God has done to liberate them from it. Amen. By Christ, one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life. Not your old life, which is Jesus stamped on it, but a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in, listen to this, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. My God, that ought to make you shout. I mean, there's the freedom. There's the liberty that is found in Christ, the grace that has been bestowed upon us if you are in Christ. But you're no longer bound to sin and death and shame and condemnation any longer. Because if you're truly in Christ, you've been set free. Go to Psalm 15. Wrapping up. Psalm 15. Ooh, man. Again, I can't encourage y'all enough to be in the book of Psalms. So much encouragement you can draw from it. It helps to remind you to keep looking up, not looking out. Keep looking up. This is a psalm from King David. Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. We've heard a lot today about the condition of the heart, you all. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts. Those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent. Such people, oh my God, come on, will stand firm forever. 
forever. Praise God. Let's wrap up Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, verse 18 through 19. Here we go. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. Listen, there is a way in which we are called to live, you all, and it is to honor Christ. I'm going to close this out with this last song of worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.
and silent and all hope was lost when the king of heaven hung upon a sinner's cross in a moment yeah we thought that it was over turns out that we were wrong cause like John